Such a blessing. Uh, Leviticus chapter 23 is our text. Uh, I want to preface the, the study tonight on the feast of uh, Shavuot uh, with the, this statement that um, uh, by seeing you all here, uh, I, can, I can assuredly say that the rapture hasn't happened yet. There are many people thinking that it was supposed to happen on the 23rd of, of September uh, 2015. Uh, well, there's still a couple of hours left. So let's learn about Shavuot. And then if the Lord wants to take us, he's certainly uh, able and willing and I hope uh, will. Uh, but, uh, but we have to stay busy and, you know, we have to be about our father's business until the Lord Jesus comes. So we're not going to sit on a mountaintop waiting, you know, and looking at videos and YouTube and everything else. It's today. It's today. It could be today. Yogi Berra, I don't know which way he went, but, you know, if he was a believer, you know, Yogi Berra went home today. He was raptured today in some way, either raptured or ruptured. I mean, I don't know, you know, but, but you understand, you know, we just have to keep we have to keep serving the Lord until until Jesus comes. So let's look at the Feast of Shavuot, the Feast of Pentecost. Okay. I, I didn't have to look up there to know. I, I knew this. Okay. Already. Let's look at the text. <clears throat> it's the next section now. And it's a considerable section. And we may be here for a little longer than normal. Not two hours or, you know, but maybe an hour and a half. Okay. And you shall count unto you. Now, again, the Lord is giving this direction to the children of Israel. And you shall count unto you from the morrow, which is the day after, the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Now remember, that's first fruits. The sheaf of the wave offering, that's first fruits. Seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow, after the seventh Sabbath, shall you number fifty days. So there's seven Sabbaths, which is seven, uh, you know, seven weeks of sevens. So that's forty-nine. And then the day after, which is the fiftieth. Okay, so even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number fifty days, and you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. You shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two tenth deals. And really what this is is just bread that is being made. Uh, they shall be a fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. How different this is from the unleavened bread of, of the, uh, the feast of Passover, unleavened bread and first fruits. They shall be bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. You'll see why leaven in just a moment. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year and one young bullock and two rams. They shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord with their meat offering and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings. We're not going to go into the offerings tonight, but one of these days we will. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord. With the two lambs, they shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. <clears throat> and you shall proclaim on the selfsame day, the same day, this is the, the feast of, of, Shav- of Shavuot, uh, that it may be a holy convocation unto you. 
You shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest. Neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Now I'm going to start off by, by just saying that we are really only scratching the surface tonight of understanding the feast of Shavuot. Uh, we could be here, and again, we could be here another extra hour because there's so much that can be said about this particular uh, feast. But in our last three studies, we looked at the three spring feasts and saw how they all pointed to the first coming of Jesus Christ. Beginning with feast, uh, the feast of Passover, we saw how Jesus was sacrificed on this feast day as He became the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. And then on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, our sinless sacrifice, Jesus, was placed in the tomb. Now, if you remember, that even to this day, when the Jewish people are celebrating Passover, they still have that that cloth that has three compartments in it, or a little uh, kind of a tortilla warmer, you know, but I mean, it's got three sections. And they put the unleavened bread in it. And, and uh, it's, it's symbolizing, you know, the, the, the Lord going into the tomb. And then as the Feast of First Fruits began, believing to be the start of the new week, the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead, giving us the assurance that one day there will be a bountiful harvest of souls raised in glory. So this evening we're going to focus on the fourth of the seven feasts. The Feast of Shavuot or the Feast of Pentecost. By the way, this feast has a few names that it goes by. But before I give you those names, let's consider the meaning of Shavuot. The Hebrew word... Okay, well, there's our picture. I always have a picture there. Let's go beyond that. Uh, Shavuot, there's the word. Shavuot. First of all, let's consider this. The Hebrew word Sheva. Sheva means seven. Sheva means seven. And then there's a word, Shavua, which means week. Notice the Shev, Sheva, seven. A week is made up of seven days. So Shavua is week, and Shavuot is weeks. So weeks would then be numbers of, of, of weeks of seven days. Period, seven day periods. And so a third name for this feast is the Feast of Weeks. And that's in English. But it's really translating uh, Hag Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. Hag Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. But it also has a few other names. Let's go through that list. There's Hag Hakatsir. Now, H-A is kind of like saying the. So the Feast of the Harvest. So harvest is katsir. Chag hakatsir is the feast of the harvest. Now we're going to find these in, in scripture in just a moment. And then there is yom habikurim. And notice this. It is the day of first fruits. But this is not uh, to be confused with the feast 
of first fruits. What is the feast of first fruits called? Hag. Hag. Habikurim. This is Yom. Yom is day. So that's not the same as Hag. Habikurim. We already studied the first fruits. That's, that's part of the first three feasts, all within the, the, you know, that eight day period. So Hag Habikurim is part of the Shavuot or the Pentecost feast. But it's called Yom Habikurim because it's the day of the first fruits of a different harvest. Now remember, the feast of first fruits of the harvest of barley. This is the, the wheat harvest, okay? And that brings us uh, actually to the next word, which is Bikure. Bik, bikur is, is really the kind of the root for um, uh, first fruits. And so Bikure, Ketzir, what is Ketzir? That's harvest, right? And Chitim, which is wheat. So the first fruits of the wheat harvest. So that's another name that is used for this particular feast. Bikurei Ketzir Chitim. So you're seeing similar words going through this list. Here's a different one though. It is called Yom HaKahal. Yom HaKahal. Which is the day of assembly. The day of assembly. Now this is an interesting one because uh, it's going to connect to another event that happened the Jewish people believe, on the Feast of uh, Shavuot. But it's called that. Now here's a, the other one, the last one that we're going to look at. Tzman Matan Toratenu. Torah. What is Torah? See, that's the law, isn't it? So on this same feast day, it is called Tzman Matan Toratenu. The season, that is Tzman, the season of the giving. Giving is Matan. And Torah Tenu is Torah. So the season of the giving of the Torah. Yom HaKahal is connected to the giving of the Torah. And we'll see that in just a moment. So in Scripture then, we find these references to these names. Let's go through each one very quickly. Exodus, you, can, you know what you can do is just write down the references. You can look them up later. Or if, you can, or if you're really fast, you can do that right now. Exodus 34, verse 22, Thou shalt observe the feast of weeks. So in the Hebrew, it's what? Chag Shavuot. Thou shalt observe the feast of weeks of the first fruits, Yom Bikurim, of wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. That's a, kind of a different one there. Well, we won't worry about that because there's, you know, the ingathering, we can kind of combine everything about that. It's the gathering of the, of the harvest. Uh, Deuteronomy 16, verse 10 says, And thou shalt keep the feast of weeks, there it is again, unto the Lord thy God, with a tribute of a freewill offering of thine hand, which thou shalt give unto the Lord thy God, according as the Lord thy God has blessed thee. So Deuteronomy 16, 10 uh, refers to the feast of weeks. And then Exodus 23, verse 16. It reads, And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in the labors out of the field. So the feast of harvest, there it is mentioned again in Exodus 23. And then Numbers 28, verse 26. Also in the day of the first fruits, so there's the first fruits again, Yom Bikurim, the day of the first fruits, Yom Bikurim, not Hag Bikurim, because that refers to the feast of first fruits. Also in the day of first fruits, when you bring a new meat offering unto the Lord, after your weeks, 
be out, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work. And then Deuteronomy, we'll close with this one. Deuteronomy 18, verse 16 says, According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly. Day of the assembly, remember, is one of those, one of those words that we mentioned. Uh, in the Hebrew, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. And all of that will make sense here in just a moment. So, getting back to Shavuot. Shavuot came 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. We already kind of saw that in, in verses 15 and 16. The Lord specifically told the Israelites that they were to count seven Sabbaths. Seven complete weeks from first fruits. That's verse 15 of our text, which adds up to 49 days. Then on the day after the seventh Sabbath, which was the 50th day, and by the way, the word, the, the, uh, the name 50 or the, the number 50 always represents a, a, a kind of a jubilee. All right, that, that's for another study, but nonetheless, 50 is, it brings you to a jubilee. But uh, so then they, they were to bring to the temple on that day, the 50th day, they were to bring two loaves of bread specifically commanded to be made with fine flour and baked with leaven. Verse 17. Now, let, let me just kind of interject something here. What have we most of all said about leaven? We've always said that leaven is a type of sin. All right. Well, that's true. For the most part. So why leaven now? Well, we have to understand that the word leaven is really just the word for yeast. And uh, yeast isn't a bad thing. I mean, we use it in our breads, for the most part, if you make bread. How many of you make bread, have made bread? Just Danny? Maybe I can't see. Maybe my eyes are... Okay. Well, make me some. I want to <laughs> make me some. That's terrible English, isn't it? Make me some. Make some for me. No. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, you use yeast and, and it causes the bread to rise. Well, here it's, it's, it's taking the issue of, the, of what it does, not what it represents in the, in the sense of type. So we're dealing with yeast and, or leaven as what it does. It causes things to grow. So keep that in mind, because what happens in a harvest? Well, you know, you go out and you, you plant seed, and then you see it grow, and then all of a sudden you gather it all together. So that's the idea that you need to have when you consider the leaven being used here for right now. These two loaves of bread. Now you can, you know, we, I don't think they made bread like we make bread today. But again, the priest on that day would take two loaves of bread in his hands, and that wave offering unto the Lord, the two become offered unto God. That's the, 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 what you need to see. That's the wave offering. So these two loaves of bread were to be used as a wave offering for the people. And hence then, the name Feast of Pentecost, which is from the Greek word Pentecoste. Pentecoste, which means 50. It means 50. Because it was celebrated, again, 50 days after the wave offering of the barley sheaf. 
So the barley sheaf was offered during the, during the uh, spring festivals, the first fruits. Fifty days later, now two loaves of bread are offered. So the term of Pentecost is, of course, going to be found where? In the New Testament. So turn to Acts chapter 2 and then keep your finger there because we're going to come back later to Acts chapter 2. And you read verse 1 of Acts chapter 2 and it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Now, Luke is writing this. And for, for all intents and purposes, let's just realize that Luke was more than likely a Gentile, not a, not a Jewish person. Nonetheless, he was very familiar uh, with all of the, the, the Jewish feasts and the festivals. He, he may very well have become a Jew in, in his life. But in, in any event, when he speaks of this day, he's speaking of the Feast of Pentecost. He's using the Greek word for 50. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now remember, you go back to chapter, to chapter 1, and when you read this, there were 120 gathered. That's a lot of people that you have to get into a Honda. They were with one accord. I thought I'd just throw that out there. I don't know if it worked. All right. So when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Forgive me, Lord. Okay. So the feast of Shavuot took place in the month of Sivan, S-I-V-A-N, on the Jewish calendar, corresponding to our May-June. Remember now, uh, the months are, are different. You know, one whole month in the Jewish calendar actually uh, oversteps two months usually for us. So uh, Sivan was May or June, or May and June, you know, kind of crossing over, which is during, by the way, is during the wheat harvest. The wheat harvest came in the summer. This feast lasted only one day. But within this day of celebration, there were 13 different sacrifices before the Lord. We read about it in our text. Seven lambs, a young bull, you can count it up now. If you have your calculator, go ahead and count it up. Seven lambs, a young bull, and two rams for burnt offering. That's ten, I believe. And then they sacrificed a kid of the goats for a sin offering. That's eleven. Uh, and, and two lambs for a peace offering. That's what, twelve, thirteen. That's thirteen. Interesting that apart from those sacrifices, the Lord would not accept their wave offering. The sacrifices had to be made. And if not, then it would have been a very empty day. So the sacrifices had to be a part of this. And then came the wave offering that was to be accepted by the Lord from the high priest. Now Shavuot was believed by rabbinic scholars to be the day that God gave Moses the Torah or the law on Mount Sinai after the exodus from Egypt. Therefore, they call this day as well Tzman Matan. Toratenu, which is the season of the giving of the law or the Torah. On that day, the Lord himself. Now you just go back and read. You can read this in Exodus 19 and 20. But you go back and you, you realize that the Lord himself came down in a cloud. 
What happened when Jesus uh, ascended? He ascended in a cloud. But God came down in a cloud at this particular time of the feast. He comes down on a cloud to Mount Sinai in the wilderness, in the desert. And he came, when you read this, he came in fire. There was smoke. There was a blast of God's trumpet. And all of this to establish his covenant with his people as a whole. Before covenants were made with Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, you know. But now we're talking about the people of, of Israel, the people actually of Yaakov, of Jacob, that all went to Egypt and stayed there for 430 years. So Shavuot is therefore commemorated by the Jewish people as the birth date of the nation of Israel. The birth date of the nation of Israel. Interestingly enough, in 1948, when Israel once again was recognized as, this, as the state of Israel, it was in May, May 15, 1948. I don't believe in coincidences in the Bible. So, praise the Lord, there was another, kind of another birth date, the rebirth of Israel, as it were. But however, this feast was also a prophecy of the day of Pentecost and the coming of the new covenant. The disciples were were commanded to tarry at Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Remember that this is what Jesus told them after his resurrection. He even told the the disciples that were on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter uh, 22. Go to Emmaus. I mean, I'm sorry, go to Jerusalem. And tarry there till the promise comes. And the other disciples were told. And so when you see the gathering of the people coming into, into Jerusalem, remember the count was 120 there in that upper room. So they did this. They, they were obedient. This was one of my teachings, by the way, last, last week. They, they were obedient to God, you know, they were to Christ, to, 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 to assemble there. And, 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 and to wait, to wait for the promise of the Father. However, they did not have to wait very long. Because the coming of the Holy Spirit occurred on the next Jewish holiday, which is right there around the corner for them. But the next Jewish holiday was when Jews from different countries came to be in Jerusalem to celebrate the completion of the harvest season. So when you read the book of Acts, especially chapter 2. And all of a sudden, that rushing mighty wind comes through, the, through that uh, 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 upper room, and then all of a sudden, uh, the cloves of, uh, cloven tongues of fire are above each and every one of the 120. And then they began to uh, speak in, 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 in various tongues. Outside of that room were men from other nations, other countries. All, you know, Jews, of course, coming to the... But they could hear in the, in the tongue of the lands of the people in which, you know, where they were living at the time. They could hear praises unto God in their own language. 
I'll read that to you in just a moment. I get, I'm just, I get excited. I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to get too, too ahead of myself. But this annual feast was, was, was none other than Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of the Wheat Harvest. And once more, the Lord descended. The Lord descended as He did when He brought the law. He descended on those first century believers with this rushing mighty wind, with tongues of fire, and other demonstrations of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being in the Hebrew, Ruach HaKodesh. Ruach HaKodesh. Once more establishing a covenant with His people. Those in the upper room were all Jewish believers. In Jesus, in Yeshua. And it is more like more than likely that the two loaves of bread that were brought to the temple on Shavuot represented both Jew and Gentile. The loaves that had leaven, not in the sense of what it is a type of but in its, in its quality, what it does, it grows. What has happened since that Pentecost? The church has grown. Both Jew and Gentile together. I want, to, I want you to consider, first of all, the end of the section that we read in Leviticus 23, verse 22. That's, this is our text. Let's go to the last verse of this, of this section. I want you to see something. When you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest. In other words, don't take everything. You know, reap all the, you know, the, the best of what you, what you reap. But if there's things left on the edges, just, just leave it alone. That's what he's saying. Don't go out and clean it out. Just leave it. Why? It says, Neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and unto the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Leave it for others. And I want you to remember something. Let's not forget that many Egyptians and others of other lands that were in Egypt at that time actually were, were probably uh, going to some of these houses where they had applied the blood and said, we want to believe in your God and they were accepted in. And then eventually they would actually come out of Egypt with, with the Israelites. So then let's not forget that many Egyptians and others left Egypt along with the Israelites. Think about this. Exodus twelve thirty eight says, and a mixed multitude went up also with them. A mixed multitude. Went up also with them in flocks and herds and even very much cattle. So it wasn't just the Israelites that left. It wasn't just the Jews that got out of, of, of Egypt. It was others. And then consider this. Consider what Paul tells us now in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. It's a considerable passage, but I think it's, it's well worth our reading. It says, Wherefore remember, Paul says, that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. That's what we, you know, some of, some of us were, just Gentiles in the flesh. Before we came to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we were Gentiles and we were in the flesh. 
who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, the circumcision being the Jewish people, the uncircumcision being the Gentiles. So that's the way it was before. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers, do you see the word strangers there? Where do we see that? At the end of Leviticus 23, verse 22. And strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, now don't you just like those two words? But now, see before it was like really bad. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off, are made nigh, which means are brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. By the blood of Christ. You've been brought near. To what? You've been brought near to the commonwealth of Israel and to the covenants of promise. Aren't you thankful? All right. Okay. I don't want to be the only one getting excited here. I'm going to be running up and down here in just a minute. So now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for He is our peace. Now I've mentioned this before. After you've had war and finally there's some, some victor or some declaration of victory uh, and, and uh, conquering of another, what happens? What comes after war? Peace. How many of you read the book War and Peace? Nobody, because it's only, well, only, yeah, only dad, okay, yeah. It's, it's about this thing. I mean, it's a big book, you know. I, I, <laughs> I remember, this was back, I, you remember Herbert Spencer used to work at State Theater? How many remember the State Theater downtown? The friend of mine went to high school with, he worked at the, at the State Theater, right there by the State National Bank. And he was telling me one time, we, I think we were seniors in high school, he said, hey, so this was a long time ago. I don't want to tell you when. But he said, hey, they're going to show the Russian version of War and Peace. They're going to have it in one week. is going to be the first part. And the next week is going to be the second part. I said, really? I was excited because I used to love that. I love that book. You know, I love, I love the history of that book. So what I told him was, hey, can I come on the last night of the first week and the first night of the second week? And he said, sure, just, just come by and I'll let you in. Which he did. I, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me, but I, you know, I got in free. You know, I don't know how much it was back then. It was probably a buck, you know, but you know how movies expensive they are today. Anyway, so I went and I saw. Do you know that each section was four hours long? The movie was four hours long. I mean, well, one section of it. Together, it was eight hours long. The Russian version. I don't even know Russian. But, you know, but it had subtitles, you know, so it was, wow, it was riveting. But, but then I, the, the second night, it was like, Lord, get me out of here. I just, ha ah, ha, you know. Yet, that's what I heard. Yet, you can't go. Why did I bring this up? Peace, peace, peace. <laughs> that's the understanding here. For he, Jesus, is our peace. Without him, we've been at war with God. We've been at war with everything that God represents. Look at how many people are at war with God today. Staggering the numbers and the reasons why. For He is our peace who has made both one. Both what? The Jew and the Gentile made them one. Two loaves 
right hand the Jews, left hand the Gentiles, offered unto the Lord as one wave offering, and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. In other words, the hostility has been abolished. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain, or which means two, make of himself of two, one new man so making peace. Now there's peace. Boy, I wish we would have more peace today between Jews and Gentiles. The problem with some of the church today is that they, they look at, 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 at Israel as, as not really being God's people. They don't read the scriptures. They don't believe in prophecy. So they become pro-Palestinian. And they say the Jews are, are the oppressors. Of course, they've never been to Israel to see this. Oh, they go to conferences on the, uh, on the edges, you know. But they, they don't go and see what the Jewish people do, even for the Arab uh, Israelis, for all the people that come. If they need help, they, they help them. It, it's, it's a funny thing, you know, that today, you know, when, when you don't consider that Jesus is really coming at any moment, when you don't look at prophecy in the Scriptures and believe it, you know, you can, be, you can begin to believe a lot of stuff. So there's no real peace today in, in some cases. Now, we, we want peace and we have peace because we love Jesus and we know that Jesus is coming soon. So we, we're, we're there. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. We have so many wonderful Jewish brethren who are believers in Mashiach and believers in Messiah, having slain the enmity or the hostility thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh or near. For through him we both have access by one spirit, one spirit unto the Father. One spirit unto the Father. I'm emphasizing spirit because of what happened at Pentecost. One spirit with the Father or unto the Father. Now, one more thing. Jewish tradition tells us that the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth, four chapters long, if you read it in the night, the book of Ruth is associated with this feast and is usually read during this time, the time of Shavuot. Of course, the book of Ruth, and I'm not going to go into detail tonight, but, but the book of Ruth is the account of Naomi, a Jewess or a Jewish woman and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who was a Moabite, a Gentile. Then, of course, later on we we meet Boaz, a relative to the uh, Elimelech, the dead husband of of, uh, Naomi. And uh, by Boaz uh, taking in Ruth as, as... uh, as his wife uh, becomes the kinsman redeemer, a picture of Christ. And uh, so anyway, the, the whole story there of, of Ruth is, is, is one that's very, very much in tune with this, this particular feast. And so the Jewish people read the book of Ruth during this time. Well, how does all of this relate to us, the church of Jesus Christ? 
Well, first of all, for this feast to take place, as I said before, the sacrifices had to be made. And they were. You see, unless Jesus had died, the perfect sacrifice for our sins, and raised from the dead on the third day, unless he had done those things, then this feast would be meaningless to us. But he did all that, that as we saw with the first three feasts. That's why Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits have all been fulfilled. And all of them fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And so 50 days then after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Feast of Pentecost took place. But what happened that significant year after Jesus was crucified? I'm not talking about it was a year after. What I'm saying is it was of that year that Jesus rose from the dead, 50 days later, what happened in that feast? Go back now to Acts chapter 2. You should have uh, had your finger there. And it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit, as the Spirit gave them utterance. See, be careful of those who today try to teach you how to speak in tongues. Or help try to help you in speaking in tongues. There's actually churches that have classes. You go to the class and they'll, they'll just try to get you to get started, you know, by, by just muttering some, some syllable, you know, you know, something like that. And if they can get you started, then I'll, you know, hey, listen, man, the Holy Spirit don't need any help. I mean, when he, gave, when he gives us gifts, man, they come with batteries included. Everything works when it comes from the Lord. And this is, a, this is a necessary thing for us to understand. You know, people today are, you know, they're, they're cessationists today. And the, uh, fancy word just to, to say that there are people who don't believe that the gifts operate today. Well, if that's the case, then we might as well go home. Gifts are operating all the time. If they don't, we're in trouble. He gave the gifts to the church so that we can support one another through them. Help one another through them. We don't have time to go through all the gifts today, but what I'm saying is, this is something that God gave for a reason. And it wasn't just for a time. But notice, there, is, there, there are certain things that do happen when you do things right. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, which tells us these guys were, you know, these guys were just not hanging out in the street, you know, just messing around. They were devout. They were in Jerusalem to worship the Lord. Out of every nation under heaven. What does that say? They were coming from every place where there were Gentiles. And then it says, now when this was noised abroad, in other words, they could hear this stuff going on, the multitude came together and were confounded. I mean, they were just kind of all messed up. What's going on? Because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So they had adopted the language of wherever they were living. And, And you know, Jews do that. I mean, they speak Hebrew. In some places they speak Yiddish, but they also speak the language of where they live. 
We live in El Paso. Every one of us just speak English and Spanish. You, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's a blessing and, an un, and it's, it's a help if we understand languages. You know, some people just say, I know even some of, uh, you know, of, of Hispanic descent, we, we don't do that. You should. It's good to communicate. All right, well, I don't know why I got into that. But anyway, they, they, they were speaking in, in their own language from where they were from. And then it says, And they were all amazed and marveled, saying, One to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? They knew they were Galileans because of their accent. Like you know when a person's from the South here in the States. You know when a person's from the South because they just have that certain twang to their speech. And there they had a twang, but they were up in the north, the Galilee. So it was kind of turned around. But anyway, so they, they knew that they were from Galilee. So how could they have known these languages? That's the question. That was the confounding. And, and how here we, every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born. So they, these families were out of Jerusalem for a long, long time. Many of them born in other, other countries. And then the countries are mentioned, Parthians and Medes. Uh, and Elamites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia, that's going all the way to Iraq, and, and, and Persia, uh, uh, Judea, and Cappadocia, and, and Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and in the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, so northern Africa as well, and strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians, we do hear them speak, notice, in our tongues, the wonderful works of of God. Tongues were being spoken and they were saying things that were proclaiming the works of God. Keep that in mind. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what, what meaneth this? What, what is the meaning of this? That's going on. Others mocking said these men are full of new wine. That was too early for that. So, we know that part of the story. What we see here is the empowering of the Holy Spirit for service upon believers. And soon we'll read about the birth of the church. The problem here is that if this is dealing with the Holy Spirit, how can the Feast of Pentecost relate to Jesus? Very easy. First of all, let's turn to John chapter 16. Turn to John chapter 16 and verse 7. John 16 verse 7. These are the words of Jesus himself. He said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, It is expedient, it is necessary and beneficial for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. I will send the Comforter, the Parakletos, that is the word in the Greek. But we know the Comforter as the Holy Spirit. So did you get that? Because of the work Jesus has done and his, and his return to glory, he now sends his spirit to work in the lives of his people to empower them 
for service, which is the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We should all know Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall receive power. The Holy Ghost is going going to come upon you and you are going to receive power. That's a gift. If you receive something from God, it's a gift. So you're going to receive power and you shall be witnesses. Witnesses. The word witnesses in the Greek is the word martus. M-A-R-T-U-S. Martus. That is the, the root word for the English word martyr. So a martyr simply is a witness for Christ. To the extent that that person will witness even to the point of death. So, he says, You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea. That's still in the land. And in Samaria, well, that's kind of in the land, but it's an area where, you know, only, you know, Jesus had to go in there with his disciples and they were probably all a little squeamish that they were going in there, but he went there nonetheless. John chapter 4, which we were studying earlier in, in, uh, on Sundays. And, and unto the uttermost part of the earth, which means now you go out away from here to the Gentiles. So you see that these men had all the tools to fulfill the Great Commission that Jesus gave to them back in Matthew 18. They had all the tools. Let let me tell you what they had. At the end of Matthew chapter 28, it says, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always always even unto the end of the world. Amen. They had all the tools. And the Lord says, but now i got to empower you. So you got the, you got the, you got the tools, but you, you need the power from on high. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, lastly, there is a very interesting connection. An interesting connection between the receiving of the law and the receiving of the Holy Spirit, and the birth of the church. An interesting connection. Back in Exodus, as I mentioned earlier, now listen to this, 50 days after leaving Egypt. You got the 50? Shavuot, no, no, not Shavuot, Uh, Pentecost. Pentecost, 50 days. But it would end up being actually in Shavuot when, when they get there. That would be the same time. So 50 days after, um, after leaving Egypt, the Israelites arrived at Mount Sinai. 50 days. So that's significant. With fire, they hear the tongue of the Lord. They hear the tongue of the Lord with fire. Remember when Moses, and this is early on, back in Exodus chapter 3. He's out in the desert tending the sheep. And he sees a burning bush, but the bush is not consumed. He goes to check it out. And immediately out of the bush comes the word, the voice of the Lord. Take off your shoes, for the ground upon which you stand is holy ground. And Moses is now exposed 
through the voice of the living God. Fire is there, representative, but the bush is not burning. It's not being consumed. So fire, with a fire they hear the tongue of the Lord. Now, this is all of the people that have gathered around Mount Sinai. So Moses goes up and he receives the law from the Lord. I'm going to try to make this real quick. Moses goes up and receives the law from the Lord. But upon returning to the people, they're talking about the fact that that Moses, well, Moses may be dead up there because we haven't seen him, we haven't heard him, he hasn't come down yet. You know, we, we, we want to worship, we want to worship God. So, you know, they, they take Aaron, the brother of Moses, and they, because of his craft, they, they make him build this golden calf. So Exodus 32, verses 7 and 8, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get, down, go get thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. I like the fact that the Lord said, Hey, they're your people, Moses. <clears throat> they were my people, but now they're your people. But he says, go down there. For, y- for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I have commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. So the Lord's anger had risen and the Lord was about to judge them. What does Moses do? Moses as a type of Christ, listen. Moses interceded for his people. And somewhere along the line he says, Lord, your people. (laughs) Nobody wants to claim these people, you know. So he, he pleads for them, he intercedes for them. And Aaron, his brother, was forced into making this molten calf. And notice, and notice what happens. Go down to verse 19. Can't read all the verses, but you can read them later. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot. In other words, his, his anger grew hot. I mean, you know, God was already hot about it. And then Moses intercedes for them. Now he's hot about it. And he cast the tablets out of his hands, the tablets that contained the law that were written by the finger of God. He cast the tablets down out of his hands and broke them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it into powder and strawed it up upon the water and made the children of Israel drink it. You're going to drink this, man. If this, is what you, if this is what you want to worship, then you know you want this inside of you. We're going to put it inside of you, man. I'm sure you just hold it drink this. You know. I mean, it's quite a picture to see. It's kind of sad at, at, at the same time. Jump down to verse 27. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side and go in and out from the gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. This is pretty heavy. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses and there fell, about, there fell of the people that day about how many? 3,000 men. About 3,000 men 50 days after they had left Egypt, 50 days. For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, 
even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. That was pretty serious. Thinking about all those terms that we've heard, what happened at Pentecost? After Peter had preached the gospel in the temple. Let's go to Acts 2 verse 37. And you can read Acts chapter 2 and read what, what it is that Peter had, had preached. Most of you, I'm sure, have read it. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. In other words, they were cut. It was like a, a sword just went right straight into their heart. And, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Here were men that had seen Jesus on the cross... Many of them probably were standing there that day before Pontius Pilate when they cried out, No, we want Barabbas, crucify him. And now Peter is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, letting them know who it was that they had put on that cross. As if they were going to worship something other than this you know, the, the one true and living God. And so they didn't realize until Peter, under the power of the Holy Spirit, preached to them the truth. And they said, what shall we do? As those that stood before Moses, and Moses told them, exactly what we read there at the very end, consecrate yourselves that he may bestow upon you a blessing. So Peter said unto them, Repent. And they understood what repentance was. Turn completely away from your sins and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children. And to all that are afar off. So it is unto you first. The Jew first. And to them that are afar off. Even the Gentiles. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort saying. Save yourselves from this untoward or wicked generation. Save yourselves from this wicked generation. And then they that gladly received his words. Or his word was were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. There were 3,000 souls lost in one day. But later on, when the covenant of grace came, there were 3,000 souls saved that day. How significant is the new covenant with the law if we don't follow it, you die. When you, re- when you believe in the one who came to fulfill the law, the Mashiach, the Messiah, you shall be saved. The new covenant between God and Israel, Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one. write it down and look it up later. The new covenant between God and Israel was initiated on Shavuot, 
50 days after the death of Jesus Christ. We have only scratched the surface of the Feast of Pentecost, but with what we have been given, we look forward to the fall feasts now, for there is a connection between this summer feast and the Feast of Trumpets, the next feast we will look at. I was really hoping I'd get to the trumpets before September 23rd. Well, that's today, isn't it? Because the trumpets is, you know, that, that's going to be the significant feast that we're going to study next time, unless the Lord comes. And then we don't study it, then we live it. But it is the feast that the Jewish people don't understand. They just know that there's trumpets blown. There's only two verses that talk about it. But when you put Scripture together, we're going to see that the Feast of Trumpets is the calling and the gathering of the believer in Jesus Christ. So we're going to be dealing with that next. But this is all about the gathering. Listen, this is all about the gathering of the harvest of souls while there is time before the coming of trumpets and the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, by the way, is going to be the feast that deals with the seven-year period of tribulation. We'll see that in our study. So let me leave you with one, with one verse. And it, it's, not, it's not a happy verse. I, I normally like to encourage you. But if you, if you come to know Jesus Christ, be encouraged. You don't have to worry about this next verse. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, you need to come to Him right away. I, I don't care... Give me no excuses. You need to come to Christ. Listen to what it says in Jeremiah 8, verse 20. It says, the harvest is past. What have we been talking about today? The harvest, the gathering, the ingathering. The harvest is past. There's going to be a time when this statement is made. The harvest is past and the summer is ended. Remember, this is a summer feast. But when summer is over, what happens? And we are not saved. There will come one last Shavuot. One last gathering. And then the harvest will be ended. The harvest will be passed and the summer will be ended. Summer is bright, cheery, warm. But after that, the fall feasts will lead into the darkness, the grayness, the coldness of winter. And without Christ, without the Messiah, without the Anointed One, without the Savior of the world, without the Redeemer, you are not saved. I pray that you will come to Christ and know Him as your Lord and Savior. Shall we pray? And by the way, don't wait. Don't wait. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank you, Lord God, that there's so much that that supports and sustains 
Lord, even the little that we've done today dealing with this feast of Shavuot. But I pray, Father, that, uh, Lord, that this will stir our hearts tonight if we find ourselves in a condition of, of confusion and of wonder as to whether we truly know the love and the salvation of Jesus Christ. Lord, all this talk about uh, the coming of the Lord at any moment, and possibly even today, should bring the proper kind of fear to our hearts that says, you know, God is serious about this. Or he wouldn't have written about it so much over the, or, or the last 4,000 years. We're living today in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot. We are living in those days that Jesus himself described that way. And I pray, Father, that you will awaken us to our need to surrender ourselves completely and totally. To the love of Jesus Christ. To the work of Christ on the cross. To the shed blood of Jesus that was shed for our forgiveness of our sins. And <clears throat> excuse me, to the resurrection of the dead. From the dead of Jesus. The first fruits. The first fruits. Of the resurrection. Oh, Father, help us to understand these things, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I I also pray for my father-in-law, Jesus Sanchez, who had to be taken to the hospital emergency today for some, possibly an infection that he's dealing with. I I just lift him up to you. I pray that uh, you'll be with Ceci and her her family as, as they're caring for him right now. We ask you, Lord, just to bring healing Lord, to his, to his 91-year-old body and just continue to cause him to, to live as long as you would want him to live. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shall we stand?